it's a very um, very fast changing uh, industry. Um, you think people have been making wine for I don't know five thousand years, guesstimate, um, and it's amazing how much of change in the South African wine scene in the last ten to twenty years. It's actually been very dynamic. In this episode, I'm talking to Bula Harber, who is winemaker at Groot Constantia in South Africa. Hi, Bula. How are you? But no, very good. Thank you very uh, thank you very much for having me on your show. It's, uh, I'm looking forward to it. it. Sounds very exciting. Yeah, and you are at Groot uh, Constantia, and you're the winemaker there. No, that is correct. I've been very fortunate to be involved in this beautiful property, historic property for 22 years now. So yeah, I've, uh, yeah, I've been winemaker here for 22 years. Amazing. So you you've you've made your mark there then. Yeah, I was very fortunate to arrive here very young. I think I was 27, 28 when I uh, when I arrived here at Focus Sanchez. I mean, yeah, what a beautiful place to uh, to uh, to and have to have this opportunity. Um, and I must say, a very interesting part. It's um, the South African wine industry is um, you know that's about just shy of hundred thousand hectares. The whole industry. The whole Constantia Valley is only 400, so like 0.4% of the whole South Africa. So it's a, so it's a, a very historical, the oldest, uh, the oldest vineyards in South Africa, well, oldest farms, the wine farms in South Africa here, but uh, but quite a quite a small part of the industry, of the, of the larger industry. But um, but yeah, so interesting. So we are um, we're about seven, eight kilometers south of the city center. So if you look at a map of Cape Town and you start in Cape Town city center and you drive along Table Mountain, you're about eight or nine kilometers south of the city center as you as you wind along the mountain. I mean, we are on the southern steps of Table Mountain. So it's quite a quite a wow. small little uh, bit of cultural area here. Um, our other uh, winemaking friends, you know, Dermville, Stanabosch, you know, they're about 50, 60 kilometers to the to northwest of us, west, northwest, uh, east northeast of us so we are sort of quite removed geographically quite far removed from the from our other friends um yeah, so it is quite a quite a unique little uh, wine making uh, niche that we have here um those of you that's familiar with the cape um and the cape climate will know that um newlands Kirstenbosch, you know, the, that part of Cape Town is wet. That's some of the highest rainfalls in Cape Town. Um, and as the crow flies, you know, we are actually very close to Newlands and Cape Town. So we uh, we get more rain than London in uh, in the year. So it is quite a it is quite a unique little wine growing area that we have here. It's beautiful, but it is uh, yeah, it's 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 quite a quite an interesting, unique little spot that we have here. But but now wines uh, or grapes don't always want rain. It's not always good for for grapes certain times of the year, isn't it? Yeah, Petra, I must say the timing of this interview is quite interesting because I woke up four o'clock this morning with a thunderstorm and only five miles of rain. It was like, oh, geez, we're in the we've still got about thirty percent of the harvest to go. And uh, and the five mils of rain we had this morning wasn't really what we ordered, but it's okay. You know, the, we um, you know, there's always a bit of a curveball, but you know, we managed that. So it's not the end of the world. Now, um, Bula, how did you get into the wine industry? As a, or what what was it that inspired you to be a, to become a winemaker? Uh, Petra, it's, it's it's purely by chance. I sorry, I forgot to turn that off. Uh, Petra. Um, um, it's it's uh, it's purely by chance. I uh, I grew up in the northern suburbs, Devonville, Devonville, which is quite a well-known wine growing region, but not on a wine farm. I grew up in the suburbs, and uh, and I went to Stellenbosch uh, to study science. I've always enjoyed science from from at school, so I just went to to, uh, to Stellenbosch University to just do uh, the, the straight uh, science degree, um, and then arriving at uh, at university, there were 
Yeah, um, yeah it, uh, it's, uh, you may be uh, interested in, in viticulture and enology, which is very similar. The first year is actually very similar. And obviously being in Stellenbosch, you know, we uh, we explored the, the winelands of Stellenbosch quite comprehensively as first year students. And it, it did appeal to me. So uh, I made the switch from from uh, just the pure science to, uh, to agricultural science. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's many years later and it's one of the best things that could have happened to me. Amazing. And now I have read this article where it, it talks about the fact that, that uh, winemaking is not just a science, but it's also an art. And, and what is your opinion on that? It's definitely a bit of both. We, um, we, we definitely rely on the scientific part, which I do enjoy. We definitely rely quite heavily on that. Um, and then, uh, so, so I mean, if your your signs need to be sound, especially you know the, the microbiological part, you know the, there's a lot of yeast and bugs that you need for for winemaking, which is important. And there are also the, the yeast and the bacteria that you don't need that you have to keep away. So um, so you definitely need to understand the the chemistry and the microbiology of, of wine to make a to make a, a sound wine. Um, but it's uh, but it's amazing. I'd never forget. There's definitely the uh, uh, definitely artistic expression as well. Um, it's quite interesting. It's when I, I just started uh, my career in the industry. I was assistant winemaker um, at Stellenzach way back when, and I remember there were a few neighbors that bought one vineyard. There was one big vineyard that was uh, subdivided into three parts, and three very well-known winemakers at the time bought it. And um, I was in a fortunate position to sort of taste the wine from these three guys and how different the wines were. Um, which goes back to your point, you know. So even though you're, you, there's definitely there's definitely a lot of science. But it was amazing how the three different uh, guys, how their personality really showed in the, in the wines they made from the exact same vineyard. Um, there are a lot of guys making some fabulous wines today, all buying you know, grapes from similar vineyards or the, even the same vineyard in certain instances. And again, um, it's quite remarkable how different the wines are, you know, from the from the same vineyard. So there's definitely there's definitely a, um, a artistic touch to to the winemaking process as well. And this personal touch is for me so amazing. And um, and I'm just wondering now also from where you started uh, 20 odd years ago to where you are now, how much has changed in the industry? The industry quite a bit. Um, the South African wine industry, to, to give an indication, um, we were in economic isolation in the apartheid years um, until 1992. Um, in 1992, there was an election in South Africa and the people voted yes, which means um, there was a yes or no referendum and the people indicated, yes, they do want this uh, democracy to go ahead. Um, and when the people voted yes, even though Nelson Mandela was on, only walked free two years later, I think the whole world saw that South Africa, the people of South Africa actually wanted the, the, the country to be a, a democratic republic. So, um, so since '92, you know, the the world opened its doors again, and we allowed to sort of trade freely. And the wine industry, um, obviously, also saw the saw the results of that. Um, but with our sport as well, I think obviously we're a very passionate sporting nation. But I think we realized in wine as well, you know, that we thought that we were so great, you know, operating in isolation for you know 20 or 30 years. And we realized, you know, we still had a lot to learn. And that is at that time when I finished my studies and entered the wine industry. And it's, uh, and it's, it's amazing. It's amazing how what I've experienced in my not even 30 years, 25 years as a, as a young winemaker. Well, not so much anymore. But uh, what I've experienced is how we going into the industry, uh, sort of, you know, first looking at, um, uh, at inspiration, uh, looking at places like uh, California and Australia, which at the time, you know, they're very successful for us as a relative new world country outside Europe, you know, what we, what we use those as models 
and then very quickly realized that it doesn't work for us and how the model changed, you know, for us sort of looking out to other countries um, and then some very uh, young and innovative and sort of groundbreaking work done in the smart line by guys like Evan Sardi and Adi Bardalos that said to us, but Disney guys, you know, why, why are we trying to sort of, you know, why are we looking outwards at other people, you know, they're looking at your own, looking at your own land, looking sort of, you know, at your own, at your own, uh, um, what nature gave you for inspiration. And that is this, so there's been quite a, quite a big change, I think, um, in the first sort of 10 years from me working in the wine industry, um, but uh, the changes in the whole philosophy, you know, towards winemaking that I thought really added a lot of value. Um, and still, there's some a lot of young guns making some really interesting wines. Um, yeah, sort of. You know, that the, um, we spoke about science and you know how you sort of certain protocols that you have to follow, and you get some of the young uh, younger winemakers. You know, they just literally throw the textbook out the window and do things totally off the wall. Um, some of the wines fabulous, some of them not so much, but it doesn't really matter. Um, there's a lot of experimentation and sort of really uh, interesting uh, concepts that's coming. So it's a very um, very fast changing uh, industry. Um, you think people have been making wine for, I don't know, 5,000 years, guesstimate. Um, and it's amazing how much has changed in this African wine scene in the last 10 to 20 years. It's actually been very dynamic. Um, personally, we uh, I'm at Kruko Sancho. It's the oldest wine farm in South Africa with a history going back. My math is probably going to let me down, but what is that? 85, what is that? Uh, 15, Jesus, that about 33, 37 years, give or take. Um, more than three centuries of winemaking. And for us to follow trends like that, you know, at, uh, for, for a Duane estate that's more than three centuries old, it's probably not wise. Um, mm. So what we, so, you know, we'll sort of, you know, take a, a more um, cautious approach to, to some of the trends that's, uh, that's happening in the industry, but we are aware of what's happening. And if there's something at work, you know, we'll slowly sort of incorporate it into our philosophy and our winemaking as well. So, yeah, but very careful, like I said, you know, it doesn't really, um, suit the grand dom of of, of Sancho, you know, to, uh, yeah. to to change too quickly. I mean, like I said, you know, it's uh, it's quite a, it's quite an old brand with a very historical approach for a very long time. Well, this is what I wanted to say. Is you know, there's a bit of a prestige also on the at the, about the wine, and and because it's got this history as well. Um, a bit of that is that's definitely something I actually spoke to our marketing manager. We had this discussion recently, and I think that's something um, if you, especially if you if you uh, sign up for a historical estate like Kroko Sancho, I think you definitely have to make sure that you align with the philosophy of the estate. I mean, I think it'll be selfish for for, uh, for a winemaker to come here and try to sort of really um, uh, um, sort of, you know, showcase your your style over the over the estate you know that's not really fair like i said you know it's a estate that's more than three centuries old and you have to respect that you have to respect the, the tradition and the history um that that goes with it so so we are really trying to follow um raw traditional style wines um i think that really suit the suit the, the, the history and the tradition of the of the property but now on your farm how old is the oldest vine interesting so there's a um there's the old vine project in South Africa um, that um, that's uh, they people are uh, celebrating vineyards at 35 years plus and making some really amazing wines. Interesting, Constantia, like we quickly uh, referred to earlier, Constantia is we're very close to the ocean. You know, we're about five kilometers. Um, Hot Bay is literally over Constantia Berg, five kilometers, very close. So we have a, a very strong um, maritime influence. Um, which means very uh, moderate summers, but also not very cold winters. And we've seen for various reasons that, uh, especially the lack of w proper winter cold. I mean, for us, 
the average minimum in the coldest months is something like 11 degrees. Wow. Um, I think the people yeah. in Europe, you know, can't really comprehend that. You know, they will, you know, will that's get so that, that's the that's the minimum, the average minimum of eleven. So that is not cold. You know, the, a lot of the famous vineyards in Europe, you know, they 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 get snow in in, in winter time, and it's actually the vineyard actually need that for various reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but because we don't have that really sort of proper winter cold, um, we've seen that the quality actually started to decline after about twenty. 20 plus years so we uproot our vineyards after 25 years um in my 22 years there's literally one uh one hectare vineyard that has not been uprooted the rest of the farm has all been uprooted and replanted in the last 22 years um so that is just uh that is just again uh, a function of uh, of where we are just of uh, because of our climate so the oldest vineyard is probably 24 25 years old the average age of our vineyard is only about 11 or 12 years old so it's relative young vineyards that we uh, that we use on the property so what is it about the older vineyards that, that why do you have to take them out? What does it do to the wine or to the grapes? Okay, so um, okay, no, this what I'm saying now is not really scientifically based, so I should be very careful what I say now. But uh, what I say, that's my opinion. So my gut feel is that um, the reason why people celebrate older vineyards, I think there are a couple of reasons. The first thing is you, you often see that your young vineyards are very vigorous. Um, so you get big canopies and quite vigorous and bigger crops as well. Um, but the most important thing is probably in your more continental climates, you know, sort of you know, away from the ocean where you get warm, dry summers and cold, wet winters. Um, especially with the, the warm, warm, dry summers, I think an older vine um, with an older and a deeper root system can dig really uh, down. You know, so when you get heat waves or um, uh, yeah, just sort of your more tricky uh, conditions during during summertime. You've got a bigger buffer system because you've got deeper roots and you've got a bigger bigger trunks and bigger uh, structures to actually buffer those uh, those spikes. And um, um, so that is that is probably why the why the older vineyards, you know, it's better balanced and uh, and also it's better buffered because of the deeper root system. For us, you know, because our climate is so moderate, you know, that we don't there's not really water stress here. You know, that for us in Cape Town, if we get to 29, 30 degrees C, you know, that we think it's a heat wave. So, you know, I think so because of the moderate temperatures, yeah, we don't really need that uh, the, um, the the older and deeper root system, you know, to uh, uh, to buffer the the, the vineyards against heat waves or anything or, or drought for that matter. Um, and the second thing is um, where we are. I'm not exactly sure why, but our our yield is relatively low. I think from um, we do we get an average of about six to seven tons a hectare, which is quite quite low, and that is that is just naturally what we get from the from the vineyards. Um, so so that's why I believe that we don't uh, for us in, in, the, in specifically the climate where we are, relative wet winters and not too hot summers. Um, I think we uh, we we found that the um, the younger vineyards, you know, just give more better precision, better fruits, just sort of better excitement in the wines altogether. So yeah, and we've seen that um, our quantity starts to decline over over years, um, and also quality. We just don't get that sort of intensity of fruit on the on the older older vines that we that we get from the younger vineyards. So it's quite a, quite a contradiction that um, I'm sure you've spoken to a few winemakers over the world in um, with your with your program, and they probably celebrated the older vineyards getting amazing quality from the older vineyards, and where we are, um, it's actually the opposite. Um, but uh, coming back to the vineyards. Uh, or the, the winemaking, um, because Constantia has got this wonderful history. Do you? Is there uh, uh, from centuries ago? Is there some information that you still have about the winemaking of the time, and that you could continue this sort of history? 
Um, interesting. So um, uh, we have some of our board members, uh, notably Haniki Lepreo. She was the director of Heritage Western Cape. And Haniki is a wealth of information. So yeah, she found some amazing information. So we do have some uh, inscriptions, journals, you know, that go back to the late 17, early 1800s. Um, so uh, that we can, uh, that we've referred to. You know, it is quite interesting though. Um, they found some wine quite a while ago. They found uh, uh, two lots of wine, one going back to 1791, the other going, going back to 1821. Um, 1821 is quite important. Um, I think that uh, the wines that made Constantia famous, especially I think um, uh, the fact that Napoleon Bonaparte um, uh, drank the sweet wine from Croix Constantia on, on uh, St. Helena when he was in exile, Obviously, that was that was quite a quite an important thing, um, and the fact that Napoleon died in 1821 made it quite important. So probably Napoleon never had that particular wine, but it was a, it was quite an interesting vintage. So um, that 1821 Grand Constance, and it was called we still honour the name Grand Constance, was auctioned recently. Um, the first bottle went for just under half a million rand, and the second one went for like 960, just under a million rand, which was uh, which is quite interesting. Um, now. Um, we did a bit of research last year. You know what the interesting thing is? That uh, now I may, my history may be out with a year or two, but as far as I know that, uh, I think it was Pasteur that found that wine, um, that the whole fermentation pr process was microbiological and not chemical. That happened only in 1834. If I have, you can just do, do a quick Google search, but it's around about 1830s, I think which is um, like more than a decade after these 1820 Grand Constances were made. So it's quite interesting that people made wine in 1790 and 1820. Those wines were still drinkable. The wines were still amazing two centuries later, but they had A, they had no equipment and B, um, they had no knowledge. They, they thought that um, wine was, uh, the fermentation was uh, like a, just a chemical oxidation kind of process. They were, they were not aware of the, of the fermentation by yeast. So, um, so yes, so there are some um, there are some um, uh, uh, references to the whole winemaking process, but um, considering the lack of information available at the time, we probably shouldn't follow it too closely. So we keep an yeah. eye on it, and we try to incorporate some of this older some of the older winemaking, you know, to some extent. But you know, but, uh, but we, you know, obviously we um, we need to be um, we need to get some consistency in the product as well. So we can't go too gung ho in the, in the winemaking. But but now what is the what is the guarantee that that bottle is still a good wine? Because I mean, if it's uh, if it's a process, a fermentation process, does it stop in the bottle? Yeah, that's quite interesting. So um, uh, so fermentation is sugar, obviously ferments to alcohol, and um, we've done some analysis. We analyzed some wine at uh, UC Davis in California. Uh, some of the wines were analyzed at uh, Geisenheim in Germany and then locally at Salabash University as well. So we have a good idea what the sugar and the alcohol is. And uh, we're still, still battling with it with uh, genetic um, testing. It's not there yet. The DNA is broken down quite uh, substantially. So we can't do DNA testing. But, um, but, uh, but just by looking at the, um, at the sugar and the alcohol, you can have a good idea what, uh, you know, at what ripeness level they picked it. Now, what, uh, what happens is if you look at the combination, there's actually an equation, it's called Dell's equation, that if you combine sugar and alcohol, because sugar is a preservative, okay? It's sugar, that's why people use sugar, you know, and jam and sweet preserve to preserve fruit in the old days. So sugar is a very good preservative, and obviously we all know alcohol is also preservative. And the combination, those two combine to a very, um, to, 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 to very efficient uh, um, uh, preservative. So 
when your your when your juice ferments, you get to a point where you have a combination of X sugar and four point five alcohol, or vice versa, and that the two combined make sure that the um, that the wine won't ferment um, any further. So we actually use that we actually use that equation in the cellar when we make our uh, we make our wine. Um, and uh, it's amazing. The wine is actually microbial stable. You can you can ferment it. You leave it in the barrel for two years, and it doesn't re-ferment. Um, so by the time it goes to bottle, you know the Guinness wine's not going to ferment any further. So yeah, the wine's actually pretty stable. But now, like you said, those days they didn't know the the formula. And uh, do you think it was just done by intuition, or uh, how was that possible? You know, but, uh, I think there was a lot of trial and error. Um, it's uh, it, it's very interesting. I mean, that is that is how champagne uh, started. You know, in uh, in France in the mid 1600s, probably in other parts of France as well, and um, in the south of France in the 1500s, in the UK also. You know, sort of you know, early 1600s. I think it was just trial and error. So um, some, I'm sure that some of the wines went best. Um, but there are so many things people do in the wine industry. You know, in the old days, people used um, egg white fine. You know, there's uh, people use egg white in, uh, in in wine, in red wine, and in Europe they often do that. And now we know that there are actually some enzymes that keep the you know that'll actually keep the wine healthy. So um, in the in the egg white, so um, it's actually quite amazing copper that people sometimes use. Um, it's 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 quite interesting that people found. Um, in the old days, they used copper fittings because copper was more pliable. Today, we know that copper will take some out some uh, reduced uh, sulfur characters. So I think a lot of these things that uh, that people used in wine was purely accidental or just for practical reasons. And then years later, they found just you know there was actually you know it actually had side as a, a benefit as well. So um, I do think that a lot of um, the people definitely did not know about um, this whole uh, sugar and alcohol and this whole equation. So it must have been something that just sort of happened and, they, uh, and it just worked for them. Yeah, naturally then. But it's so yeah. amazing, yeah, that you have this uh, rich history also on the, uh, on Constantia. But now um, I've also spoken to winemakers who talk about organic farming and, and, and uh, organic way of making. And is that something that you also do at Gru Constantia? Um, definitely. Um, it's interesting you ask about uh, what's changed in the industry. And I failed to mention that. I do think there's a, um, there's a lot uh, bigger um, awareness of the environment today. Than we than we had when I entered the industry twenty five years ago. So um, so yeah. So we so we're not certified organic, but I think all the wine farmers, you know, try to some extent, you know, to, to minimize um, the, the use of pesticide. You know, a lot of guys for pesticide, you know, they're going um, biological. We use um, we use uh, ladybirds and uh, and little uh, wasps to to control your your. Uh, your your mealy bug. Um, there are very interesting fungi that people actually use to control uh, uh, some of the mildews that you find in, uh, in in summertime. So there's a there's a big movement you know of going by biological or organic. Um, unfortunately, where we are with a very high rainfall, it is very difficult to go full organic. Um, so not to use any uh, of your, especially when it comes to your um, your. Uh, um, your summertime, spring, summertime um, uh, fungal infections. 
So, so we still may go, but but having said that, even the stuff that we use today, um, it's uh, it's actually quite amazing. So it's got a, a, a half-life, very quick uh, breakdown in the in the environment because you know there are little streams. Actually, where I'm sitting now, there's a little stream that runs in in winter time that runs just on the border of the property, and that that little stream you can follow that all the way down to Musenberg to the to the to, to Falls Bay, the Atlantic Ocean. So we are actually quite aware of it's quite a sensitive area where we are with a lot of green belts. And, and a lot of water and we sort of we are quite aware of where this water goes to so we are definitely trying to to be environmentally aware um uh, so so that's definitely um it's definitely something that all the viticulturists and, and winemakers are very aware of and really try to uh, to look after the environment well it also probably comes with the fact that uh, that there's more knowledge also now about organic farming and about um uh all these things that that it is possible to do it or easily to do it oh totally and i must say this uh, i don't have a wine bottle on me but the, the, the South african wine industry has been very proactive they started a program called integrated production of wine um where the whole industry is sort of you know uh, literally 25 years ago in 97 when they started to um to to lay down the rules and it's actually quite a comprehensive program when you when they take it's even sound pollution that they take into consideration you know what you do with your solid waste and your liquid waste it's it's an amazing um it's an amazing program but we try to get uh, more more um uh, sustainable practices in the wine industry and they come actually they come and audit you every three years where they go through all your records and see what you have done so amazing. so the so industry as a, mm -hmm. as a whole has been really sort of working towards a more sustainable um uh, farming for for nearly 25 years which is quite remarkable that's amazing i mean that's so reassuring really that that's been done but now Buna, tell me um as a winemaker do you have a favorite wine to make uh, or is there a, a a specific wine that you would say that's your favorite wine yeah i'm not supposed to say that so, but because yeah, we actually make quite a, we actually make quite a big range and it's fun i must say i do enjoy you know from the from the sparkling and the dry wines all the way to the to the reds and the sweets but uh and, and white wine um, i don't know chardonnay is uh, it really is something that i do enjoy it's uh there's, even though there's the, the Costantia Valley is not, I think half the Costantia Valley is part of the Sauvignon Blanc, and now Sauvignon Blanc done really well for us. But for me, when I um, when I invite friends over, and especially in the summertime, um, and you want to open a bottle of white wine with uh, over lunch, um, you know, I often I often go for for Chardonnay. So I mean, I do enjoy working uh, with the variety. It's, it's very rewarding working with the variety. Just a very layered and sort of complex uh, complex wine. So for white wine, I I do enjoy the work with Chardonnays. And then red wines are flagships to Governor's Reserve. It's a cab uh, cab based blend, um, and that is there's something about um, there's something about uh, about blending. Um, I know there's a, there's a big focus internationally on single vignettes, you know, sort of you know showing the expression of a particular site, um, which obviously has its merits as well. But for me to take the best of the estate and say, but just yeah, this is what Krukosancha, because we're an estate, you know, we um, we only allow to use the food according to the South African legislation. Um, if you're an illicit estate uh, or registered estate, you're only allowed to use the fruit of your property. So we don't buy any grapes from our neighbors or, you know, another wine growing region. Mm. It's literally only what we grow here on the property. Um, and it is quite nice to say, but listen, yeah, um, the governor's reserve, it's the base that the, pro that the property can produce. So, you know, there's, uh, this Cabernet worked and a bit of that Cabernet Franc and a bit of that Merlot. Um, yeah, and it's it's actually quite an amazing process. The blending process is really rewarding. It's uh, it's, it's it's quite amazing, you know. It's uh, you know, it's, it's quite a quite a long process. You don't do that in one or two days. It's, it's like quite a few months, um, sort of leading up to making this blend and really try to 
sort of uh, capture the essence of uh, um, of the critical stature for uh, and also of a particular vintage. Um, some vintages you know, get warm, dry years, or you get cooler, wetter years. And you try to sort of, you know, put all of that um, constantia and all the elements, uh, try to put all of that together and say, but listen, yeah, this is a representation of uh, you know, my interpretation of, you know, that particular vintage for, for constantia. So from that point of view, I really enjoy making the, 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 the Governor's Reserve Red Band. Well, I would say if, if uh, you're, uh, you're friends of Bula, then um, you always... Uh, assured that you open a bottle of wine or that that there's a good bottle of wine at a braai. <laughs> That's what we do in Cape Town, eh? I must say it is. Um, I must say that is, uh, that is something that we do as winemakers. Eh? If we don't make wine, you know, the, we drink wine, we talk about wine. And that is, it's actually quite interesting. Um, you know, it's, there's always something interesting from all over the world, eh? something quirky or something really spectacular. So there's, um, that, is, that is good fun. That is uh, one of the perks being in the industry. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Well, um, Bula, tell me, what is your wish for the future? You know, Petra, that's a that's a very odd. We wish that COVID is over, and I wish that the war in in in, in, in Russia and Ukraine would stop. Um, yes, yeah, I don't know. Uh, that's uh, that's a curveball. I don't actually know how to answer this question. Um, <laughs> you should have you some... given you a bit of a heads, a bit of a warning on this one. Listen, yeah, listen, Petra. I'm I'm joking. No, uh, can you be a bit more specific? My wish for the future in what in what regard? Uh, well, in in your in your career or in in um, for yourself personally, um, is there something that you still would like to do and um, and wish to do? Video uh, the, the Petra, it's like I said earlier. That's what we do as winemakers. You know, that we 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 drink wine and we make wine, and that's a challenge. And it's interesting. You know, I've been involved in this property for for many many years, and it's amazing to to look back. Um, and we we you know um, I've been in, the, in a great position now to look back over the over the last twenty years and sort of open wines, and you think you know where you were in your life and your career. You know, when you made these wines, mm -hmm. so it's, it's amazing to see uh, how these wines evolved over over time. And um, and it's amazing to actually have that opportunity and sort of build that, use that, you know, going forward instead of listening, yeah, this is what happened in the past and I may have made mistakes and I think I can do it better and really just try to fine tune. And, and that is what we do. I really try to, to maximize what we have, you know, what the land gives us and, and see if we can make it even better. I think that is, um, you know, you learn from your friends. I mean, I really enjoy traveling. See if you can travel, get some inspiration from, uh, from other winemaking colleagues around the world and, um, and see if we can incorporate some of their, of their philosophy and some of their wine wisdom, you know, in in, in what you do, yeah, focus on and even raise the bar a bit higher. Yeah, well, that's that's amazing. I mean, that you are open for that, you know, for for acquiring new information and and new experiences. That's wonderful. So, that's the only that's the only way, but it's a, that is a great. But I must say, the industry, the wine industry, is a, it's amazing like that. I think people are very happy to open their doors um, internationally and to and to welcome uh, winemakers from different countries or different regions and show them around and allow them to you know do a harvest there. That's the beauty of us being in the southern hemisphere. You know, it is possible to uh, to go and actually sort of you know, spend a few weeks with the, with the winemaker in the northern hemisphere um, and just sort of you know share ideas and yeah. So so it's it's actually quite amazing. That this this global wine village where people are really happy to to to, to share uh, to share ideas and knowledge. It's a, it is pretty uh, pretty special. 
Yeah, and I think also the pandemic has made us more aware of things like, um, because I just thought of my daughter who's uh, 27, who's, you know, uh, suddenly started being interested in wine and uh, not just drinking it, but really knowing about it or, or finding certain labels interesting. So, um, you know, it's. I think there's also some some different interest that that will be coming now. No, it's it's, it's true, and uh, I, I agree with you. Um, I think um, obviously uh, COVID, you know, brought a, a few, few interesting um, challenges to the to the table, but they definitely opened mm -hmm. a few doors as well, a few avenues, and um, and just the Zoom that we are using at the moment. You know, it's not something you know today everybody knows Zoom. You know, two years ago, just more than two years ago, it was not a reality for us. So the fact that we can do now, can do Zoom tastings with clients in the US or in Europe and sort of share ideas. Um, yeah, it's amazing how people are open to actually do these, these kind of things. So yeah, so this whole sharing of knowledge is actually quite amazing. So yeah, I, I agree with you. There's, some, there's lots of opportunities. Oh, so, so you do Zoom tastings as well? Um, yeah, it's, it's tricky. So there are, we've, we've done it in South Africa. We actually sent the little samples out um, yeah. or we've done it in the States, you know, where people get together, Singapore as well. Um, we have, we've done it where people actually sort of get together and they'll buy three or four bottles and, you know, we have little, little groups and we'll, uh, and, I, and I'll sit here in, in Cape Town and share ideas with them. So yeah, so we do it. Or That's sometimes it's just, it's just exchanging ideas and it's uh, no yeah. wine involved. And we just talk about it, you know, we literally just talk about um talk about ideas and wine making philosophies and you know what we found interesting so sometimes it's conceptual and some other times they are actually you know we um yeah because we are very lucky that the wine goes to i don't know how many countries like half the wines exported so so the wines are available in different countries and yeah, people actually make the effort to to acquire these wines and get all groups together and we um and we actually do it like that so that is fascinating it's good fun. yeah i think this is amazing oh my goodness mm. this i didn't i didn't even think that it's possible but yeah that that sounds that it's it's wonderful to do. Um, Bula, I just have one more last question for you. Um, is there a shout out you can do for a restaurant or a um, a coffee shop that you visit regularly in your area? Yes, yeah. The first that comes to mind is my friends at Yonkers Ice. Uh, that is, uh, I'm very fortunate to to, to live here on Protestantia, and um, Yonkers Ice is in the in the core of uh, um, the historical core right next door to the to the manors. So it's a, it's a big part of our lives. Uh, I, um, I've got two little small kids and, you know, we often go for a walk in the vineyards or my wife will just take the kids and we go for a walk in the vineyards and we end up at Yonkers Ice and uh, we just have a bite to eat there. We have a cup of coffee. So that is that is probably the place that I, it, it's definitely the restaurant that I um, that I visit the most and actually became very good friends with them. So it's like a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing place. So if any, anybody, if it comes to Cape Town, um, I would love you guys to come and visit us here at Coco Sanchez and then stop at Yonkers Ice for a bite to eat. Uh, the food's amazing and uh, the setting is spectacular. That's great. I'm going to put, uh, there's probably a website where, where uh, the menu is available and, and things like that. I'll put that on the description as well. Oh, that'll be great. That'll be great. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Bula, it was so lovely to talk to you. It's a pity that my um, uh, screen froze, but that's Zoom for you. Maybe in two years' time, Zoom will be Un uh, un yeah. <laughs> defrostable <laughs> so um but it was so lovely to talk to you and thank you so much for um uh, talking and, and talking more about the wine and the wine industry and um and uh yeah i will i'll put the also the website of constantia on the 
on the description of the video. Perfect, Peter. Thank you very much for reaching out. It was lovely to, to, uh, to talk to you, actually. Um, uh, I watched some of your other videos as well. It is quite amazing. You've got the, the violinists and musicians and everything on there. So, uh, so it really is quite a uh, quite a creative bunch that you've got there on your on your Instagram. So, yeah. So, thank you very much for, for including us in uh, in this talk. That's a pleasure. It was. It's lovely to have you. <laughs>